0: In today's dynamic and complex healthcare environment, there is a need for highly educated medical professionals who can understand and integrate the clinical and business aspects of the healthcare industry. More and more, this need is being filled by physician assistants. You're listening to ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, your host, and with me today is James Shulin. James is the Chief Administrative Officer, for the Johns Hopkins Department of Emergency Medicine and president of Johns Hopkins Emergency Medical Services. And today we're discussing how physician assistants can pursue a career in healthcare business management. Hi, Jim. Welcome to ReachMD.
1: Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Jim, could you describe for us your current role at Johns Hopkins?
1: Well, Lisa, I wear a number of hats at Hopkins. I guess my primary role is to be responsible for the overall operations of the Department of Emergency Medicine. Now, that means I work with our department chairman and am responsible for the research activity, our residency and educational programs, as well as the operation of the four emergency departments that are within the Johns Hopkins system. Within that, then, I'm responsible for the for both the hospital operations as well as the physician practice operations for those emergency departments.
0: And you have a couple other hats, too. Tell us about those.
1: Yeah, that's my primary hat. Uh, I'm also responsible for a group that's called the Office of Critical Event Preparedness and Response, and that's CPAR, and that coordinates the disaster response for all of the Johns Hopkins enterprise. So, for example, recently we've been dealing with uh, H1N1 in the spring and the fall, and then most recently we deployed several teams to Haiti to assist in uh, their recovery. And then finally, I also manage the Johns Hopkins Lifeline emergency transportation team, which moves patients from referring hospitals into Hopkins.
0: Well, it's an interesting career path for a PA and one that we're seeing a lot more of. So can you tell us a little bit about your history and your experience as a PA?
1: I can, yes. I actually started my career as a clinical physician assistant in 1975, and that was in an emergency department at a city hospital. I spent a couple of years there, but most of my clinical career was spent in the burn center taking care of critically injured burn patients. And it was while I was there that I I became involved in hospital committees, some projects that were going on throughout the hospital, and that sort of piqued my interest to consider something other than a, a straight clinical career.
0: And so when did you parlay into more of the business side?
1: I was very fortunate in my career to be exposed to people who were great mentors. And I think it's important in anybody's career, but certainly if a PA is thinking about the future, I think having good mentors is very important. Because as soon as I expressed any interest whatsoever in getting involved in hospital-wide projects, sitting on committees, dealing with process improvement, quality improvement, and so forth, people were there to offer me those opportunities and to see that I sort of handled them correctly. And and then, as my interest continued to grow, my supervising physician at the time said to me, look, we need to prepare you for the next step in your career. And if that's going to be administrative, you probably should go on and get an advanced degree, and I'll help support you through that because I think that's the right thing to do.
0: Fantastic. So, how do you think your PA background helped you to prepare for the chief administrative position that you have at Johns Hopkins now?
1: You know, Lisa, the bottom line is that anytime you're in healthcare and anytime you're in a hospital setting, I don't think there's any substitute for the fact that I have clinical experience. And so, people who have that clinical experience and really fully understand how the clinicians think and how the clinicians work, I think it gives you a level of credibility that you just can't get no matter how good your academic credentials might be. That's not to say academic credentials aren't important, but you become very believable when you've walked in their shoes.
0: Let's talk about academics. What are your recommendations for a PA that's interested in moving into more administration? Should they pursue an MBA, an MPH, a PhD?
1: I don't know that there's a single answer. You know, clearly advanced degrees are going to give you credibility when you move into the business environment. And to a certain extent, I guess you have to think, gee, am I interested in pure finance, am I interested in operations, am I interested more in the research end of things, and and that can help direct you to a degree. But in terms of general hospital administration, you know, I think a degree in hospital administration or a degree in business administration, a degree in public health with a healthcare management track, you know, I think all of those are valuable and, frankly, in most cases could be interchangeable. But at this point in everybody's world, I think the master's degree is sort of the entry-level degree into senior management.
0: In your experience, have you seen an increase in PAs assuming senior leadership roles?
1: I don't know that I've seen PAs be in extraordinarily senior positions, but I'm beginning to notice that PAs are being in positions other than straight clinical work.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Actually, I think because the profession is beginning to mature. I think that, like anything else, You know, physicians weren't born to be leaders of departments, neither were nurses, but I think only after your profession, after you get a solid footing in what your profession fundamentally is, in our case, clinical care and being physician assistants, then I think once the profession gets older, then you're able to use that to expand yourself a little bit and therefore expand the profession. I think it's just a maturity of the profession.
0: What skill sets or work experience do you think are helpful for PAs to get under their belt before moving into one of these positions?
1: That's a great question. Personally, I think there's no substitute for being deeply involved in your workplace. And I think so if you're working in a physician practice, you should learn how it works. And if there are performance improvement groups or committees, you should be part of it. If you're in a hospital, you should join hospital committees whether it's on a standing committee or whether it's an ad hoc committee looking at a particular problem. I don't think there's any substitute for learning how things work, and that's how you do that. I don't think there's any substitute for learning how to communicate with other people, to learn how groups work and how to manage group process and group dynamics. And I think you can learn all that through a book, but you can't learn it as well as if you just jump in and get involved.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with James Shulin. James is the Chief Administrative Officer for the Johns Hopkins Department of Emergency Medicine and President of Johns Hopkins Emergency Medical Services. And we're talking about how PAs can pursue a career in healthcare business management. So, Jim, obviously you've had a lot of experience in the large hospital setting, and PAs are everywhere. They're in, you know, two practitioner practices all the way up to large hospitals, but hospitals present a different set of challenges for PAs, and sometimes the best person for the job isn't enough in a large, complex environment. How can doctors or department chiefs, health PAs move into these leadership roles, and what advice do you have for PA who can't quite get where they need to go in that kind of a setting?
1: Well, you know, as I said earlier, I think think that it is important to find people who can help you grow and might be in positions to point you in the right direction. So there's clearly a big piece in where you go in your career is tied to the relationships you're able to build. And whether that's with your physician in particular or with others that you meet, I think relationship building is important to a PA developing his or her own future career. So, So work on relationships, work on networking. And if you are in a setting where, like I was fortunate to work in, where academics and sort of advancement was part of the mission of what that organization does, I think it comes easier for physicians or others who might be in leadership positions to encourage the growth of people. Tying yourself to an organization that has advancement as part of its mission is going to put you in a better position to move forward.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the other things that you do. I'd like to talk a little bit about the Johns Hopkins Medical Mission to Haiti. Can you tell us your involvement and how's that going?
1: It's going very well. We're winding down our participation. It was a very interesting process, one that actually started quite a number of years ago when we helped to respond to Hurricane Katrina with a response team. So our activity in Haiti is based in that Office of Critical Event Preparedness and Response that I mentioned which was set up as in reaction to both uh, 9-11 and the anthrax attacks that occurred in 2001-2002, we decided that we needed a central kind of disaster coordinating function to make sure that all the parts of Hopkins were tied together and were responding together. So that's the office that centers this team. When uh, Katrina happened and there was such a need for medical support teams, we learned through that experience, that we should put together what we call a go team, which is uh, about 200 people from around the Johns Hopkins Enterprise, all kinds of disciplines, nurses, doctors, PAs, therapists, respiratory therapists, physical therapists, administrators, I mean, you name it. We essentially put together a team of people who could staff a 250-bed hospital for two weeks. We brought those people together. We provided them some training, and they're on standby, frankly, for events that occur. So when the earthquake occurred, We were able to put a notice out to the GO team to say, stand by. We don't know how or when we're going to be deployed, but I'm betting we're going to get a call. In fact, we did. Now, this isn't a team that you just throw on an airplane and send to Haiti and say, good luck. That's not the right way to respond to an event. So we were contacted by a couple of different groups. One was an NGO that was responding to Haiti and needed some medical support. And so we sent a team of uh, seven or eight people down with that NGO to work in a tent hospital that was created in Port-au-Prince. And then we were contacted by the Navy when they deployed the USNS Comfort. They wanted to have some civilian supplementation to the military crew on the Comfort. And that was actually the perfect deployment for us, because while many people who like to respond to disasters love the thrill of getting in the field and being sort of first responders... What Hopkins is best at is delivering medical care. And so we were able to do that on the comfort.
0: All right, so let's talk about H1N1. I know you spent a lot of time working on H1N1. I'd just like to ask you a couple of the questions that my patients keep asking, which is, H1N1's gone now, why should I get a vaccine?
1: Well, it's not clear that H1N1 is gone. We uh, continue to encourage people to get vaccinated. It's interesting to see that even though we saw a spike of H1N1 in both the spring and the fall, it's pretty curious to see that there essentially has been no flu season during the normal flu season this year. Mm -hmm. And so you have to wonder if the vaccination press for both H1N1 and seasonal flu really did have an impact.
0: Well, we're hopeful of that. And speaking of H1N1, I'm sure you saw a lot of that in the emergency department this year. You have done a lot of talking about decreasing the waiting times in the ER, and I'm wondering if you could speak briefly to some of the things that you're doing at Johns Hopkins.
1: Sure. Running an efficient emergency department is really a matter of keeping three things in balance the number of patients, the number of beds, and the amount of time patients spend in the bed. If those three things are all in perfect harmony, then people come and go, wait times are minimal and everybody's happy. It's when one of those three things gets out of balance that the operation of an emergency department gets derailed. And so if suddenly there are more patients coming in, well, if you don't either increase the number of beds or decrease the amount of time each one of them spends in a bed, somebody's going to wait, and somebody's going to be unhappy. (laughs) That's just the way it sort of works in the ED. I always try to keep that simple sort of paradigm in my head as I think about how we address the problems in the emergency department. And so either we have to focus on reducing time or we focus on redistributing patients or we focus on maximizing bed space when we need the most bed space. So sometimes it's a matter of shifting resources. Sometimes it's a matter of trying to find the best place for patients to get treated. But most of what we spend our time on is trying to improve process and improve throughput. So, you know, one of the things that you have to be pretty familiar with and learn are the skills and the techniques and the tools that are related to process improvement. And so we spend an awful lot of time with SIX and Lean Sigma, and back in the day of TQM, it was called TQM, you know, call it what you want, but you use the currently available management tools to assess your process and make things move faster.
0: Well, Jim, so in closing, you're a pioneer for all of the PAs and the leadership roles that you manage right now at Johns Hopkins, and there are many PAs inspired by you and your story. Any closing thoughts?
1: I have had a wonderful career as a PA. Although I no longer see patients clinically, and I miss it dearly, I am still a PA and always will be a PA. PA first, and then whatever I happen to be doing at the time. I just want to make the point to everybody that's listening that that is, in fact, the case. And it is a sign that our profession is strong, it's growing, it's maturing, and it's up to us to make sure that we continue to expand our role in healthcare. care. So there are roles out there for everyone, but you can't be afraid to pursue them.
0: Well said. Thank you, Jim, for coming on the show.
1: My pleasure, Lisa. Thank you.
0: I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And you can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And thanks for listening.